want to begin this morning uh, from the sermon by reading Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. I would encourage you to just sit and listen to this as I read. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. Isaiah writes, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, No, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away until you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet... The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. God in heaven, we pray today that your word would speak to us. Lord, in every place where we are running away from you, where we misunderstand you, where we feel like you aren't meeting our expectations. God, I pray that we would see you for who you truly are and that who you are is good news for us. Amen. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. In Jesus' ministry, there is an important turning point where he tells his disciples that he is going to go to Jerusalem. And when he goes there, he is going to be betrayed, that he is going to suffer, and that he is going to die. And from that point in his ministry, the Gospels tell us that Jesus no longer kind of travels and, and wanders. Jesus never wandered, but never just, this, he's not kind of just moving around in Israel during that time. Instead, he is focused and direct, directed on his way to Jerusalem. The Gospel Luke says at this point that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. And today we're going to look at Matthew 21. And in this chapter, Jesus has finished his journey to Jerusalem. He has arrived in Jerusalem where he knows that he is going to die. And the next seven chapters in the book of Matthew are all about what happens in the last week of Jesus's earthly life when he's there in Jerusalem and all that happens that leads up to his crucifixion. And what we see in Matthew 21 and in the next few chapters is that once he gets to Jerusalem, he starts to act a lot differently than we expect. He starts acting a lot differently than he has in the previous part of his ministry. There are three scenes that we're going to look at that happen right when Jesus gets into Jerusalem. First is the triumphal entry. 
And then scene number two is when Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the tables in the temple. And then we have this third scene where Jesus curses a fig tree. It's just really strange. This is not the way that Jesus has typically acted up to this point. He comes riding in triumphantly on a donkey, people praising him, calling him the Messiah and the son of David. And he doesn't stop them. And he doesn't tell them to be quiet. He doesn't tell them to keep it a secret like he has in the past when people recognize who he was. He usually says, let's be quiet about this right now. Instead, he receives their praise. He encourages their praise. And then he goes into the temple and he, he turns over the tables. One of the gospel tells us that he actually did it with a whip. That Jesus is so filled with the zeal for God's righteousness. And here in Matthew 21 is really the first time that we see really the force of Jesus' anger on unrighteousness and injustice. And then, very strangely, he curses this poor fig tree. (laughs) We read these stories and they're very different from what we've come to expect of Jesus up to this point. In the next few chapters, Jesus continues to act much differently. These chapters are filled with Jesus being very confrontational with the religious leaders, with the priests of that day. Throughout Jesus' ministry, every once in a while, they would come to test him, and he might have a harsh word for him. But in these next few chapters, he is relentless. He goes after them and goes after them and goes after them, and he continues to challenge them for who they are and the way that they have not rightly followed God. And so for the next few weeks, we are going to be following Jesus through this very last week of his life, leading up to his betrayal and his suffering and his death on the cross. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, he becomes more explicit about who he is as the Messiah, begins to declare more publicly who he is. And the problem with that for the religious leaders, and eventually for most of the people in Jerusalem, is that he did not meet their expectations of what a Messiah was supposed to be like. He didn't fit. He was not what they expected him or wanted him to be. And so the title of my sermon today is this, The Good News of Unmet Expectations. The good news of unmet expectations. Jesus did not live up to the expectations of the Messiah and Savior that Israel was expecting. And that's good news. Jesus was not what the people of Israel expected. He is not what they wanted. But he was exactly the Messiah that Israel and the whole world needed. So we're going to take a look at those three scenes, the triumphal entry, the turning over the tables in the temple, and the cursing of the fig tree, and see how Jesus did not meet the expectations of Israel, but how his actions are exactly the kind of Messiah that Israel and the whole world need. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, verse 1. This is scene Number one, Jesus was the wrong kind of king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. The better way to describe this is disturbed, very upset. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was disturbed and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. In this story, Jesus comes riding in on the donkey. People are, are declaring, Hosanna, save us, son of David. What's going on in the story? And why did the crowds respond to Jesus in this way, in this moment? This event of Jesus coming riding into town on a donkey and people laying branches and laying their coats down in front of him, this was the welcome that like, a Roman emperor would receive after he won a big victory. This is the kind of actions that people would have. And so when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he's being welcomed by the people as a conquering hero. Why is that? He hasn't conquered any armies. He hasn't conquered any cities. He's not a war general. So why are they celebrating the arrival of Jesus in this way? I think there's a few reasons. The first is that the Jewish people had a deep hope and a desire that the Messiah was coming soon. The promised land in Israel had been occupied by the Romans, and they were hoping and praying that God was going to send the Messiah and to come and deliver them from their oppressors. They are waiting and they're praying for the Messiah to come. Generally speaking, this is what they're hoping for. We saw that all the way back in Jesus' birth story where, where Anna and Simeon are praying for the deliverance of Israel. Second, very specifically, he comes in at the Passover celebration. And the Passover celebration is that celebration where the people remembered God's work in the Exodus, how God took the most powerful army in the world at that time, Egypt, and overcame them by the power of his hand and delivered Israel out of slavery and into the promised land. And so they're remembering this story at this time. And then what's happening in Jesus's ministry is that Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, and then he has very publicly healed two blind men just outside of Jerusalem. And the news of this is beginning to spread rapidly. A man who had been in a tomb for four days is now alive because Jesus said so. Two blind men were healed, and people are beginning to say and to wonder, is this the Messiah? And if not him, who else? 
So as Jesus comes riding into the city, there's this great anticipation that right now in Israel's history that God is doing something. He's finally going to rescue them from their enemies. This story, this image of Jesus riding into Jerusalem is a story about the kingship of Jesus, but how Jesus was the wrong kind of king, at least in the minds of the people of Israel. Because as the events of Holy Week continue, the people of Jerusalem realize that Jesus is not going to be the kind of king that they wanted. They begin to turn on him as the week progresses and no longer saying, Jesus, save us, Hosanna, but eventually Jesus, crucify him on Friday. The crowds in Jerusalem were looking for a king to give them power and wealth and comfort and safety and security. They expected a warrior king who would kill for them, not a king who was a humble servant who would die for them. Scene two, Jesus was the wrong kind of priest. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Haven't you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. So while everyone's eyes are on him, he's just come into Jerusalem. The crowds are paying attention to him. While everyone's eyes are on him, he goes to the most important place in Jerusalem. He goes to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, Jesus gets really angry. When he gets there, he sees that there are all of these money changers and people selling animals for sacrifices. And just let me give you a little bit of the background here. Um, in Jerusalem at this time, the population was typically about 50,000 people. But during the Passover, it swelled to maybe as much as 200,000 people. And the reason for that is that this was the time of year when many Jewish people would come and to offer their sacrifices for their sin. They knew that they had done wrong, and they came and they would bring um, a, a lamb and a goat or doves and pigeons to come and to offer those sacrifices at the temple in order for their consciences to be clean so that they could be made right with God. But many of those people, they wouldn't want to like drag the lamb and the goat with them, you know, dozens or hundreds of miles to Jerusalem. So they set up these vendors there where you could buy lambs or goats or pigeons or doves in order to make your sacrifices. And that in and of itself wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But we need to pay attention to what actually happens in this story and where Jesus directs his, his attention. Notice which tables Jesus turns over. He turns over the tables of those who are selling doves. Why would that be? In Leviticus chapter 5, there are instructions about the kinds of offerings that people are to make in order to be forgiven of their sin. And this is what it says. 
Leviticus chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty, they must confess in what way they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. And then this is the important part. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin. What is Jesus angry about here? He is angry that the poor are being exploited. The people who have the least means to come to the temple and to offer sacrifices to God are people who would have gone and bought the doves rather than the lamb. And these are the ones that are exploiting the poor. The poor have come from all over Israel to come to the Passover to be made right with God. They have done something in their life that has racked their conscience and they want to be made right with God. And so they make this long, arduous, expensive journey all the way to the temple. And when they get there, there are people exploiting them. The temple was supposed to be the place where people are to come and experience the presence of God. That's why the temple exists. The priests, the entire reason that God gave priests to Israel was to help guide people to come and to experience the presence of God. That's their entire role, is to be servants of the people, to help them come along and to experience the presence of God. But the exact opposite is happening in the temple. The religious leaders and the priests have set up this whole system that create barriers to people coming and experiencing God. This is why Jesus is so angry. These leaders have set up this system that create barriers to people's worship, especially those that are poor. And as this story goes on, Jesus doubles down on making the religious leaders angry. He goes to the blind and the lame, who were usually very intentionally excluded from worship, and he goes to them and he heals them, and they get angry. Okay, like how corrupt do you have to be to watch blind and lame people be made well and get angry about it? Like there's something going on inside you if you're going to get angry about that, but they get mad that he's doing that. And then these children are worshiping him. And he receives it. In this section, it highlights the the trifecta of making the priests mad. The poor, the blind and the lame, and the children. These are all people who the priests were gladly creating barriers for people. They did not want them around. And Jesus in this story goes to them. And he makes a way for them to heal them and to bring them into the presence of God. Jesus was the wrong kind of priest. Rather than a priest who used God for his own purposes, he was a healing priest who welcomed all people into the presence of God. Scene three, he was the wrong kind of prophet. Verse 18, early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except for leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. 
When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. This is a strange story. Is Jesus just being hangry here? Like hungry, angry? Like what's happening in this story? What's happening here is that Jesus is acting like a prophet. He's acting like a prophet. The prophets of Israel would very often act out these very symbolic dramas in order to communicate the verbal message that they were giving to the people. And so we have some really strange stories. If you read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, there are some really strange stories of the ways that they do this kind of theater in the streets of Jerusalem or wherever they are in order to communicate the message uh, that they want to give. And so there's one story where Isaiah walks around the city for three years completely naked in order to communicate the message of the way that Egypt is going to be overthrown by their enemies. Really weird. <laughs> There's a story, one of my favorites is when Ezekiel is commanded to sleep on his, or to stay on his side for 390 days and to cook his food over manure in order to communicate the way that Israel is going to suffer once, um, is it the Syrians or the Babylonians at that point? I don't remember. Whichever one is going to come and attack them, that he's demonstrating the kind of suffering that they are going to endure. Or the story of Hosea, where Hosea is commanded by God to marry an adulterous woman. And over and over again in his own life, he experiences in his own person the rejection of that woman as a demonstration of the way that Israel has rejected God. And so the prophets over and over again... They play out these dramas in order to communicate the message that they're giving. And this is what Jesus is doing here. He is acting like a prophet. Jesus comes along and he sees a fig tree that has leaves on it, but no fruit. The leaves are there. It looks like a nice tree. It looks healthy, but it isn't bearing any fruit. And so he curses it and says, may you never bear fruit again. What's the message here? Israel in the Old Testament prophets is often described as a fig tree or a grapevine. And here Jesus takes up that image and he uses this fig tree as an example for the disciples and for us. The fig tree looked good. It looked healthy, but it wasn't bearing the fruit it was supposed to bear. The temple, it looks good. It's big and it's shiny. It's the pride of the people of Israel, but it's not bearing fruit. The religious leaders look impressive. Outwardly, they live these great godly lives, but they are not bearing the fruit of drawing people into the presence of God. Jesus was the wrong kind of prophet. Israel wanted a prophet who would come and speak a word of challenge to the Gentiles, to their enemies. Israel did not want a prophet who was going to come and to challenge them. And that is exactly what Jesus is going to do over the next chapters in Matthew over and over and over again. is going to challenge Israel for their unfaithfulness and tell them that through him, 
He is going to save Israel, and he's also going to make a way for Gentiles to also experience that same salvation. They wanted a prophet to speak a word that would close the door on their enemies, and instead he speaks words over and over again that opens the door to a new way for Israel's enemies to experience salvation. So Jesus, in their mind, was a wrong kind of king. He was a servant king that they did not expect. He was the wrong kind of priest. Instead, he was a healing priest that we actually need. And he was the wrong kind of prophet. He was a faithful prophet who spoke to God's people, Israel, about what they needed to hear. The world has all kinds of kings and leaders who lord their authority over people. And we see right now, today, the violence and injustice that that creates. We need a servant king to come and deliver us from the root cause of our sin, the sin in the hearts of all people that will eventually bear good fruit for justice and righteousness in the world. We need a healing priest who tears down any and every barrier that keeps us from God. A priest who goes to the hurting and wounded, the blind and the lame, the addicted and the depressed. A priest who knows and who sees the weight of guilt and shame that we carry, who comes and makes a way for us to be healed of those things. This is the kind of priest that Jesus came to be. And we need a faithful prophet who will speak the truth that we need and not the lies that we want to hear. A humble king, a healing priest, and a faithful prophet. This is who Jesus was. This is who he showed himself to be in that last week leading to the crucifixion. This was not what the people expected, and that was good news. He was what Israel, he was who Israel and the whole world needed. So I just want to take a moment as we, as we finish here. And to remind you of the words of Isaiah chapter 30 that I read at the beginning. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In trust and quietness is your strength. But you would have none of it. There's a way, there are many ways in our own lives where Jesus is not what we expect him to be. He doesn't come through for us in the way that we expect him to. He doesn't do A, B, or C that we have longed for him and think that he should do. And so I just want to take a moment that we aren't any different than Israel at this time. We have our own ex expectations of who we think God, who we think Jesus should be. And I just want to give you a moment to allow God to speak into that for you. And to ask yourself the question, in what way am I expecting God to be someone who he is not? And to allow that to be shown to you in some way this morning. And then I will pray for us and close our time. God, I pray that you would show us the expectations that we have of you that are not true of you. You are the servant king that we need. You are the healing priest that we need. You are the faithful prophet that we need. And God, I pray that we would receive who you are today. So would you show us uh, those areas of our lives where we have expectations of you that are not true of who you are and who you 
want to be for us. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on our own horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we'll ride off on our own swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away until you are left exposed and alone like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. And yet, the Lord longs. He desires to be gracious to you, and he rises He moves toward you to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. So blessed are all of you who wait for him. Lord, remind us today that our own plans and purposes, our own striving and efforts won't get us to where we need to be. That all of our striving in the end only leaves us exposed and vulnerable to the evil one like a banner waving on a hill in the wind. Lord, our striving, our plans, our purposes, the expectations that we set in place for our lives and for you will not bring us the true salvation that you have for us. And so, Lord, may we surrender. May we surrender to your repentance that you call us to, to the rest that you have for us to the quietness and trust that truly is our strength. Amen.